This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Matt Compton, co-founder and CEO of Philo. We're helping people come together in order to get real work done, but without having to be in the same place to do it. While it's always great to be in person and I'm excited to get back in person when we can start doing more of that, having to do it isn't good for anybody. It's not good for us as people. It's not good for our families. It's not good for the environment. It is not good for business because it just slows everything down. It's incredibly expensive. We like to move fast. So this is a problem we have been talking about for many years. And we had an opportunity at the beginning of the pandemic in order to put our money where our mouth was. And going back to curiosity, ambitious, and working with great people, it was an opportunity. We had four weeks and we said, hey, what if? This is Matt. He's a two-time founder and former IBM, ExecTarget, and Salesforce. He spent his entire career solving complex problems with product development, sales, marketing, and business strategy. Through a unique skill set combining engineering and business, he specializes in building and leading cross-functional teams to solve organizations' largest problems. Today, he's the CEO of Philo, a company that's on a mission to build a future where online meeting fatigue is replaced with meaningful engagement and increased productivity. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Matt to my podcast. We explore how his company emerged from an attempt to prevent a hackathon event from being canceled. It's a story about what's humanly possible to achieve in a matter of weeks when the problem is highly valuable to solve and timing is critical. Matt shares the challenges that he had to overcome in finding a repeatable business model and making the business sustainable. And last but not least, he shares his own experiences on what it takes to shape a remarkable software business. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, the importance of laser-sharp segmentation, and in particular, understanding who you're not for. Secondly, how to continue to create momentum when the virality effect of the start fades out. Thirdly, how to tune messaging when you're bringing something to the market and people are not in a mindset or may not even think there's a solution out there they need. And fourthly, what to change to be able to better deal with failure and become stronger from it. So hi Matt, welcome and being a guest on my podcast today. 
John, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Well, the pleasure is mine because I saw something in your company and when I was asked whether you could feature on the podcast and I saw it, it was like, yeah, bring it on. So, I mean, the, the tagline here that, that, I, that got me and, and a couple of other things like helping amazing people come together to create, learn and solve problems. I think that's spot on for the age we're in right now, for the period we're coming back from. And yeah, interesting to see what the innovation is really doing and how we can push in the bar. But before we start and talk about your company, Philo, or is it, yeah, Philo, can you describe yourself in a couple of words? But how would you characterize yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a great question. All of us entrepreneurs, I think, have some sort of a disease. So let's see how we can spin this in a positive light. I'd say there's three primary things. One is I'm curious. Some people would say I get bored really, really easily. But essentially, I always want to know why things are working that way, why they're not working, why certain things are not possible. And as soon as everything is known and we're just executing, it's time to move on to something else. So curiosity is probably the first one. The second one is ambitious and not like the personal kind of ambition of wanting to get fame or money. But we only have, as far as my knowledge, we only have one ride in this life. So I just want to work on stuff that's meaningful. So how do we find problems that are truly meaningful that'll help the world be a better place? Because life's too short to work on things that aren't important. And then the third is collaborative. I love working with great, smart people, people who want to hear other people's opinions, people who are willing to run at hard problems and do so in the right way. So it's probably the best way of describing my disease. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I would say a good disease to have. I love the way you phrase that. I recognize a lot of that in myself, by the way. And I also glad that you were talking about ambitious, not in the fact that it's like profit over purpose, but more purpose over profit. Exactly right. I think that that is a great starting point to create a remarkable software business. So yeah, what is your passion? What, what drives you? This, yeah, following your heart to kind of really start something from nothing where everybody's saying it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, so how we even got started is, is interesting. I mean, if you think about what Philo is doing, we're helping people come together in order to get real work done, but without having to be in the same place to do it. And we do it by creating a new kind of virtual space that can be spun up incredibly quickly. People can come together in order to create, learn, solve problems. This is a problem my co-founder and I have been talking about for a long time. We've been in enterprise software, everything from startups to working for large organizations like Salesforce, Exact Target, Cheetah Digital, DocuSign, Conga, and we've IBM and we've ran global teams our entire lives. And what that has mean is both of us have probably spent three weeks out of every single month for the last 15 years on planes, in hotel rooms, eating bad food away from our families, missing our kids growing up. And that's just something that while it's always great to be in person and I'm excited to get back in person when we can start doing more of that, it's just, it's not having to do it isn't good for anybody. It's not good for us as people. It's not good for our families. It's not good for the environment. It is not good for business because it just slows everything down. It's incredibly expensive. We like to move fast. So this is a problem we have been talking about for many years, and we had an opportunity at the beginning of the pandemic in order to put our money where the, our mouth was, and that we were working with a group called High Alpha. High Alpha yeah. is a premier venture studio, one of the first innovative B2B SaaS venture studios. It's based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, here in the States. 
They've been around for five years and have started 30 plus companies over that five-year period. They start all their companies through a process called Sprint Week. And Sprint Week is one of the most fun weeks I've ever participated in my life. Think of a hackathon meets a design sprint meets a pitch competition all in one. The high alpha is 40 to 50 people. They bring in another 30 or so entrepreneurs, industry experts, partners, investors. You show up on day one. You don't know who your team's going to be, what problem you're working on. You're given a team of 15 to 20 people on a high level problem, and you have four days in order to turn that into a business. So nice. you do 30 plus customer prospect interviews to identify what exactly is the problem. You design a product or a service that will solve that problem. You design it. You usually create a clickable prototype that you're going to be walking through at the end of the time. You come up with go-to-market plans and how you're going to sell it. There are four to five teams usually during a sprint week. You're competing against each team. End of the week, you're presenting to a room of 150 to 200 people. And they do that. Look at them at the end of the week. Usually pick one winner match it to an entrepreneur, start a company, drop a little bit of money in a bank account as a bit of a pre-seed money to get you going. And that's how they start all 30 of their companies. But all of that has been in person. It's always been in person. You get together, you show up in the same room with your 15 to 20 teammates, and you work there for 12 to 15 hours a day for four straight days. And at the the outside of this, on the other side, you have a company that you're working with so like everybody beginning of last year, they had one scheduled in May. I was going to join, join it as a guest. And when everything locked down in March, they said, we can't do this virtually. And they were going to cancel it. And it just almost wasn't a second thought. No, we have to cancel it. And look, we have amazing video. We have chat products. We have file sharing. We have all these amazing technologies that have gotten so easy and democratized over the last 15 years. But still, the initial thought was, no, we have to cancel it. We can't do this virtually. You can't spend that long every day on Zoom. And we don't even know how people are going to interact. You can't plan the meeting cadence. And going back to curiosity, ambitious, and working with great people, it was an opportunity. We had four weeks and we said, hey, what if? Yeah, what if? Yeah, exactly. Or why not? (laughs) And we were off and running. Cool. I mean, I like the way that the serendipity, how this this comes to you without even realizing it. And then just to have the guts to say, let's do it. And, <laughs> I mean, what's I mean the, the luxury at the end days? is that you don't have four days, but you got, you got four weeks. So. <laughs> That's a, I mean, you have four weeks. You can only build so much in four weeks, but what's the downside? You're like, look, there are maybe two B2B venture studios in the world who run sprint weeks this way. There's probably not a market. Let's not work on, focus on building a company for it. Let's just solve our problem. And even if we don't solve our problem, the curiosity and the learning of it, we're going to learn a ton and we're going to be better on the other side of this, even if it doesn't work. So why not? We got started, spent the first week figuring out what are we even solving for? Like, what is the problem? Why do they think they have to cancel it? And then we spent three weeks building a prototype, ran it at the beginning of May. And it ended up being, it was interesting and ended up going from canceling Sprint Week to being the most successful Sprint Week they've ever had. They started four companies out of that sprint week. They had never started more than two in a sprint week before in their five-year history. Other partners and external people who participated saw what we were doing, asked, can I use that? Can I, I have my own problem. Let me tell you about my problem. It was at that point we thought, huh, 
maybe we have something here. Maybe we have a company of our own and we've been off and running. So, so what do you believe was, was the big problem to solve here then? Because, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, because we cannot meet in person, let's not do it. That's, Why do, that, did they believe this was not possible? Great. It's a great question. And that's what we spent the entire first week doing. We said, we're not going to put our hands on keyboard to write any code until we know what problem we're solving for. Because we only have three weeks of coding in us. So we have to really narrow this down. And we spent the first week, we interviewed probably 200 people over the first week, every single person within High Alpha, external groups, people from IDEO and universities who are doing collaboration every single day and saying, think about what this would be like when you're virtual. What is it that's missing? Like, what are the pieces that we lose when we go virtual that makes us immediately think we have to cancel them? And we identified three. It wasn't how do we create a digital representation of a physical area. It wasn't how do we make a little bit different take on video. The three things that when you, we lose when we go virtual is one, structure. So even if you're operating within the same room, if you have 20 people, how that room is laid out tells us as human beings how we should interact with other people, where a table is, where a whiteboard is, where maybe a room that hangs off of it is, where common areas are. And not when you go virtual and that becomes links and emails and calendar invites and maybe chat channels, that structure of how you engage goes away. So yeah. these you have 20 people working over a four-day period to start a company. You don't know how meetings are going to take place. You need that structure. So that was the first one. The second one was even if you have the structure, you lose visibility. So yeah. visibility into over with 20 people, you could all be meeting together as a stand-up. Or you could literally have 10 different conversations happening at once where you have an engineer and a designer working on designing a product, designing the product. You have maybe a finance person with a salesperson coming up with what's a pricing model for this look like and what does that go-to-market structure look like. And you have a partner working on how are we going to pitch this thing? What's the storyboard of what we're solving for in the pitch deck? But if you're virtual and those are just links, and you don't know whose they are, who's the host, where the conversations are, just losing that visibility cuts down on so many conversations. So that was the yeah. second piece was structure, visibility. And then the third, even if you have the first two, there's enough friction to join conversations virtually because you send somebody a chat message, you have five minutes, you wait for a response back, somebody spins up a meeting, they take the link to that meeting, they send it back. That may only take two, three, five minutes in order to do that, but that's enough friction that most of these conversations don't happen. They exactly. become 30 minute calendar invites that need to be scheduled 24 hours in advance and a five minute meeting becomes a 30 minute meeting. So we said- no water cooler anymore. That, that's right. And we said, if we can solve those three things, give groups a structure that can, they can create their own, but make it flexible for groups to create their structure, give visibility into all the conversations happening across the space at any point in time and always make it, our goal was never more than one click to be actually directly connecting with somebody. In reality, it ends up being two or three clicks. We couldn't quite get to one, but it's still pretty close. Whether that's asynchronous messaging and chat, whether it's a one-to-one -one private conversation or whether it's a group conversation, you always want to be that close. And we said, if we can solve those three, then you know what? I think we can have a pretty good week. And it worked. Yeah, exactly. So that was the big idea. And I like the way well, we talked about the spark the moment where it sparked. What do you believe is the opportunity if you get this right? Because for what it, of course, looks like, this is going to be, but this was like sort of right on time. And maybe it was, because it was 
it came up to be solved because we are in this freaking situation. But if you look at it, I mean, you've been in planes far too many times. I've been in planes far, far too many times. This was the normal way of doing. When, we, when you need to meet people from other countries, you just go and see them. But yeah, if, if the world can, can really work better in terms of coming together, creating, learning, and solving problems in this way, that's a massive thing. It's massive. It's it's a change in mindset, though, too, right? Yeah. The good thing was we've, well, I won't, it's hard to say the last year has been a good thing. There's been so many people having pain associated with it. From our experimentation, it provided an incredible experimental area to play in. And it what it did was forced people out of the way their current mindset. And that's, we haven't even really had a whole lot of time to think about how do we thoughtfully build this thing out? Because we ran the initial sprint week, Techstars, one of the tech, the Techstars accelerator, the sports accelerator had people who participated in the sprint week, saw what we were doing, came to us and said, which you just did in three days, we have a three-month version of that, where 10 companies come together for three full months to collaborate and accelerate them and form new mentorships with, with people in the industry. Can we use it for that? We said, yeah, there's no reason why we can't. True. We formed the company, stood it up. From there, the NCAA, which is a large amateur athletic association here in the United States, came and said, hey, let me tell you about my problem. They used it during Techstar Sports. And they said, well, we need a virtual courtroom because when there's a rules violation reported about a person or a college potentially does something wrong, we have to really figure out, does it actually, did they actually do something wrong? And that takes groups coming together to collaborate over the course of a day and hear all the evidence and weigh it back and forth to find out, did a violation occur? And if so, what do we do about that? So can we, I think this would be perfect for it because we need that same structure. We need visibility yep. into the conversations happening and we need to quickly be able to talk with one another over that time. Great. We stood up that and, and it worked really, really well. An incredibly large media company used us during an accelerator and, and saw it and said, hey, we, we run a three-day workshop with 150 of the top executives across, this is a 20,000 person company across the entire company to talk about what's happening in the industry. Day two is then what's happening within the business. Day three is about jumping into functional challenges and then jumping into regional challenges to figure out what we're doing going forward. We're trying to figure out how to do this virtually and it has deep collaboration of them. Products don't work. I think this would be perfect. Great. We stood up their environment. Universities who, one of the, the university in the United States that has the largest intellectual property portfolio over the last five years saw it and said, we have to not only keep this going in the collaboration, but there's a bunch of companies inside this intellectual property portfolio that we can start. And we also are selling those and licensing them to entrepreneurs. That takes connection. Can we stand up a persistent environment using this in order to drive that connection and run events out of it, but also have workshops and collaboration that happens within teams all the way to organizations who are figuring out how do they kick off their own company and align over the coming year. So we've just had these rapid number of experiments that have happened over the last year. And what we found is again, those same three things, structure, yeah. visibility, yeah. connection. If you, if you provide those in an easy way that you don't have to write a bunch of code in order to do it, it can be spun up in yeah. Yeah. minutes or hours, then we can solve a bunch of different problems. And not only there'll be some things next year, we know is 
It's going to go back in person. We're going to get back. There's a reason why we have that hunger to see each other and to collaborate in person, but some of them don't need to be in person. And we've also found out there's a bunch of new opportunity because now we can do something in a few hours for $5,000 that used to take a week and a million dollars to do that. There's things that will exist after all of this that just didn't exist before how we collaborate with one another. Yeah, it's just imagination. And like you say, mindsets about what can be. That's fascinating. Well, kind of just to remind everybody that's listening to this, you, this, was, this started in June 2020. So, and you're talking about it as if the company has been around for years. <laughs> With all the anecdotes and the experiences and the different type of companies that come and solve different type of problems in a, with, with a similar type of products. Fascinating. So what, yeah, I mean, to first of all, get something going to host an event four weeks later and actually, yeah, yeah do something meaningful there, what you say, that the result of it was even better than it, when it would be a, a live version of it. So I'm always fascinated to, to understand, like, what do you believe were the, well, the, you talked about the three things that were missing, but how do you then create a product out of this? How do you make the choices? Well, it's a really good question. There's the choices around what it is that we build and how we build it. And one of the things, the core tenets of our organization is being customer obsessed and customer obsessed and customer focused. There are so many people who use those words and it's something that we truly live and breathe every day. So the choices for us were some of the easiest ones because the first four weeks We didn't focus on where is there a gigantic market? Where is there the biggest budget? Who is, what's the fastest path to getting decisions made so that we can get the money in the door? The first four weeks where we had one customer, that one customer was high alpha who had a sprint week they had to run. And let's just obsess over that one customer and how solve that one customer's problems. And then the whole rest of the year has been, has been exactly that. When somebody comes to us and says, let me tell you about my problem and why I've seen your product and I think it's perfect to solve it, then the entire thing is about understanding what's going on with them. And 90% of what they solve, we've been able to solve for with what we already have. What's the extra 10%? What are we missing? Great. Now let's prioritize that. Let's make yeah. the choice of just for that one customer and solve their problem. But the interesting thing is how we engage with each other as human beings around complex things and get real work done it looks incredibly similar, whether it's people running a courtroom, a sprint week, a five-day sales kickoff, an engineering team working with each other every single day, or a sales process, right? Because even if you think of the best sales pursuits that happen are not one person trying to trick somebody else into buying their solution. It's two groups coming together to solve a problem. Yeah. So those look the same. So it's been really great. We've been able to obsess over each customer's problem, create something that solves for them, but just always keep a mindset of, okay, how is this really purposeful so that the next person we run into can leverage this exact same capability. We use that, build a feature, solve their problem. It works. Somebody else sees it. They come to us and say, hey, this is perfect for mine. And let me tell you about yeah. mine. And, and that's been the entire first year. Let me make a small interruption here. Matt just explained the essence that drives their success. Not being obsessed with what is the biggest market or where is the biggest budget, but by being obsessed about what is the essence of the problem that we need to solve, a problem that is meaningful and critical on the customer's agenda. 
This is a trait remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence, master curiosity, and then build something that's valuable and desirable. And that drives their momentum. You can master these traits as well. And I have various options for you to start. First, just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software company. And while you're there anyway, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, so you can start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. Good. So was there any one thing, for example, that was delivering that exponential value? Because, I mean, there's, there was a lot of things already available. I mean, what you're saying, you could use Zoom for this and with breakout rooms, you could get quite away. There's other things that, that have been around so did she try to optimize to create something that was really kind of, yeah, moved the bar in terms of what people would expect and whatever you get this wow factor? It's, I mean, I hate to keep, keep coming back to the same thing, but it, it comes back to the to those three things in combination, yep. the structure, the visibility, and the connection. Because what typically we ran into with when our customers would bring us a problem is they were typically trying to leverage one of two different groups of technologies, they would go and say, there are a bunch of virtual event platforms that are out there. And we're trying to leverage the virtual event platforms. And those have been built for scale of thousands of people watching live streams together with some combination of networking type capabilities to try to connect people together. Now, I don't mean to diminish that at all. That's incredibly difficult to do and True. is incredibly valuable. But those aren't groups coming together to get real work done because real work done is unpredictable and how you're going to engage with each other. What challenge is going to come up? How can you quickly address that? So then a lot of our customers who were saying we're really about getting work done, here's what our challenge is. They were trying to hack together a bunch of solutions to create really what we had as a turnkey solution. They're standing up custom Slack environments and Slack domains and channels. They're Combining that with Zoom licenses, maybe they're using Google Drive to share folders between one another. They're maybe if they're trying to get sophisticated, they're trying to stand up their own landing page that brings all of these things together just to try to organize it. But most of them were organizing it through 15 different calendar invites they were sending out ahead of time. It really just kills that flexibility. So when they looked at it, they said, they were trying to solve for those three pieces. They just didn't know it. And then when we said, look, we solve for them, we can stand this up in an hour where you're spending a week and the collaboration is better because people can come in and talk. For most of them, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. Oh, well, of course, when you, when you see the difference and you experience the difference in how simple that really is and how much more effective it is, that, that creates the wow factor. So it's a number of things gluing together. So what happened after the event? I mean, that you were likely said, okay, now we have to yeah, start growing it. Now it's a company, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it, a, it was a litmus test, that event. <laughs> I mean, every startup has the good parts of it that work really, really well. And then there are the things that you have to figure out, how do you make this a sustainable business? So the first year for us, is, as we've talked about, we've, had, we've been able to work with so many amazing organizations and got really good traction the thing we're challenged with right now is to figure out the repeatable business model so that this is sustainable and can grow. And many think many of the problems we've solved over the first year are episodic in nature, mainly because those were the most like visceral 
pain that an organization has, I have this one thing for it's going to be three days long or three months long or two months long or even a day. And a group of people are going to come together. It has a date assigned to it. We have a deliverable or problem that we have to deliver at the end of it. And this is a perfect solution for it. Great. They spend money. We get on the other side and now it's okay. What now? And you have a customer who will say, wow, I can apply this exact same thing that I've seen it to 15 other problems I have in the organization. For us, it is then, okay, how do we structure this in a way that we have a mutually beneficial relationship? They know how to purchase it. How does it fit with budgets that do exist within the organization? So that's the thing we're, we're figuring out now is how do we work with them in a way we can run a 2000 person event. They can also use us to run a 25 person customer advisory board that is yeah. collaborative over, over a few days. How does that contract structure look like? And, and also with the broader market, how do we get them thinking that realizing that something like this is even possible? So instead of immediately going to, no, I just need to cancel this and wait till we can spend a bunch of money and fly and take everybody out of the field and get together. This is possible. And there's a solution out there to solve it. Yeah. It's an interesting educational aspect here, which is like, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's like, how do you create a repeatable business model out of this and actually something that sells where, where you can create momentum around it rather than constantly going back into yeah, 20% customization. Of course, that, that requires time. That's why they call it product market fit. I like the story, by the way, on the smallest viable audience, that single customer that you obsessed about for that particular event, not get distracted with all the other things. And what you typically see is when you can solve it for one, for one organization or for one person, there's, there's more than one, something like that. And so, I mean, that goes to what I, was, what I was even just talking through is, and I think this is so important at the beginning in the first year of a company is obsessing over every little, every customer. Now you can do that, right? Because you're not sitting with 10,000 customers out there. So you can truly obsess over everybody's problem. But then when you're looking back, what are the patterns with all of the things we just solved? Clearly somebody comes in, uses Philo, sees that I can use that to solve my own collaboration issue and stand up a custom environment for a class for an event for a deal or a project worrying. But for us, what are the repeatable patterns so that now we're not talking with each individual customer, but we're talking to a market of 50 people who all have the same problems, 500 companies, a thousand companies, all the same problem, all feel it in a similar way. You know how to communicate to them in a way that resonates. That's the product market fit. As you said, we've, we've grown virally really, really well. Now it's pattern recognition. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, what, what you see is that, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and that's at the end about, you know, when, when something is so good that people start making a remark about it and that they keep talking about it and they, they start doing the, mar- the marketing for you. I mean, that's, I think, what you've experienced here because one kind of infects the other. You see what I'm using here. This is something for you. That's, that's of course, a fantastic way to start a business. So what, what have been the biggest lesson learned so far? doing this under extreme time pressure, sort of every single single time again? There's been two, I'll say, right? And one is the fact that this level of collaboration truly is possible. You can take, you can take 80 people of which 30 of them don't have never met each other. You can bring them together and you can start companies from scratch in four days and you can do it working out of people's offices. Like, 
if you can do that, then so much is possible. So the fact that it is, it is possible, it's possible quickly, it's possible in a repeatable manner has been, we didn't know that a year and a half ago. And today we do. So that's been a good lesson learned. The other one that is less confirmational for us, or at least feels that way, is realizing the gaps where in-person is really necessary, right? Real collaboration is possible, but when you're solving that, there are still gaps in terms of relationship building, in terms of even mental health, where being able to get in person with somebody in a room, there are things we haven't solved for yet and may not be solved for in a digital manner and may still be valuable to get together in person and being able to separate those two and talk through it with our customers have been really, really important and some of the best lessons learned that, learned that we've had. Yeah, that's an interesting one in itself, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these, when you start to look for the things you know that are so common that you've become so used to. And the good thing at the end is about this period we've been in is that you really start to miss a number of things and it becomes clear like what you've missed. But still, I think if you, if you then bring it together, it's, there's if things you, yeah, you don't even realize because you're now also creating something completely new again. Fascinating. What has been the hardest thing to solve for or the biggest obstacle on this journey for you? The biggest obstacle is how do we talk about what we're doing? <laughs> in a way that people understand what it is because collaboration is such a loaded term. It means so many different things to different people. By the way, people aren't wrong. So everybody comes with their own definition of it, their own challenge with it. How do you describe what remote collaboration truly is to people? If you have The problem with marketing today, the challenge with marketing today, I won't say it's a problem. It's just something you have to figure out is if you have five seconds in front of somebody because they're on a feed and they're scrolling and they're looking at a bunch of things happening and you have at most five seconds where something exists on site on that feed, how do you communicate the possible to them in that, in that scenario? How do you reach them in their pain when they may not think that there's a solution out there? And that's, That has been the biggest challenge. We get the first year has been fine with that from the virality standpoint, because somebody uses us and then comes inbound. We solve their problem. We love that. We're going to keep doing that. It gets us yeah. so incredibly excited, but how do we accelerate it? To accelerate it, we have to talk to people when they're not True. in the mindset and haven't used Philo before. Exactly. That's one that candidly we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. So we're still working through it. We're challenging ourselves every single day and we get slightly better every day make a little that's progress. what it's about yeah it's really going deep first of all like who you're for and who you're not for because it's not for everybody and then you have to respect that as well and then to position it in the right way that in a way that people like say that's what i want or that's what i well that's what i need the stuff the well, that's for. the art of positioning and segmentation and value proposition work you're, you're gives coming me, around knowing who you're not for is so important because especially somebody who is curious and likes solving meaningful problems and loves helping people and collaborating with them. The hard decisions are, we can solve this person's problem right now, but, and that feels good and that's great. But if I solve this one person's problem right now, then there might be three other people who look like that. If I solve this other person's problem right now, 
I can solve 50 people's problem in the next two weeks. And identifying each of those is incredibly difficult when you've got a product that's really flexible and, and you can't do it. You just Yeah, but it's all about making choices. I come from a background where the flexibility of the product was its core differentiator. But just saying it's flexible, you can do anything with it. People don't have the imagination. You really have to bring it down to like, what does that really mean? And then people say, ah, and then when they are really getting that and on, on that bandwagon, then they start to speak for you and say, so also this and also that. That's where you're on the same wavelength. And it's fascinating. Yeah. What has been a regret if you look back across the year? Has there, be, well, has there been any regret? And if so, what would you do different next time? Yeah, I don't know if regret is the right way of putting it for me because I don't typically carry a bunch of regrets going forward because I feel like every single time we're making the best decision we can make with the information that we have. So in terms of what we would do differently is probably the right way of phrasing it. And what are we going to do differently going forward than we have in the past? It's probably the same answer that I just gave a while ago is we love solving our customers' problems. When we talk to somebody and realize that we can solve their problem, then the entire Philo team gets so, we're so customer obsessed that we're all in. We jump in with them. We help them. We help them think through it. We help them set up the product, not because we have to, because it technically has to be done, but because we just love spending time with them and we learn. But seeing the greater good at times of if I solve, I have two people and I can solve their problem. If I solve the second person's problem, there's 50 more of them then it's spending more time on those areas, realizing we can make a larger impact in the world faster. A great example is in sales collaboration. I mean, we have all of these tools at our disposal today for individual teams who work with everybody every single day to collaborate together, right? You have your calendaring system, you have a chat system, you have video conferencing, you have project management tools, you have file sharing, and the whole team is aligned around those tools. And we jump in for things around sales kickoffs. How do you bring 2000 people together for a really collaborative week? The things that have spawned from that is all this collaboration that happens during a sales process, collaboration internally. How do you form relationships across teams internally so that If I'm a seller and I'm selling to you and you have a unique problem, I have the tool set on my tool belt that I can use, but I also have a whole army of people internally, but I need to have relationships with all of them so that I can reach out to somebody in product or in engineering or in marketing to say, let me tell you about this problem I just heard. There's also the collaboration with the prospect or the customer through that sales pursuit once you sell it through an implementation of whatever it is that you're doing to expanding and continuing to solve the problem and maintaining that relationship. That's a pattern that we're focusing heavily on right now. Very, very nice example. And that brings me actually to another question that could be related to this, but it could very well be something else. What have you been most proud of achieving so far? I'm most proud of the team that we've built. So where we've been probably most thoughtful are the group of people we've brought together because, I mean, startups are incredibly difficult. There's long hours, there's wins, there's challenges and losses where you fall short of what you're trying to do. And those things, 
in a real world maybe over the course of or in the larger companies six months at a time and you have a big win over six months or a loss over six months or a challenge and startups it's it's measured by the minute sometimes right is you have a big win one minute the very next minute something goes wrong or you have something you have to learn from but you don't know what that signal looks like it's just too hard when you're in the trenches with it with a group of people who don't have the right mindset so We've got an incredible group of people. We're a team of 13 people right now. We're fully remote. We're based out of Indianapolis, Indiana in the States, but we're spread across seven different states in the United States. My co-founder, a guy named Doug Rybacki, who's an incredible guy. I've never met him in person. He's based <laughs> in Seattle. We've, we're now starting a company together. I know him incredibly well from the shoulders up. I have no idea how tall he is, but just having the people with the right mindset that you can wake up every morning, jump into a virtual environment like Philo, spend time in these video boxes that we do, but form these deep connections and relationships, everybody wired to obsess over customers, that the smallest thing goes wrong for customers. And it just drives all of us crazy because we want it to be perfect, but we use that as fuel on how do you make the product better, the service better, how do you educate people better, is I'm most proud of the team that we've built. Cool. And then secondary, the customers that we've solved, but the team's everything. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that as well. At the end, there's always this interesting thing, like what should come first, customer or employees? But yeah, you can go both ways. You know, the, the people have to really believe and give that discretionary effort in order to make something that is remarkable in order for a customer to pick that up. And then it's, but then it's a circle, you know? It just, the energy drives itself. But talking about the remarkable software business, like I said, I wrote my book about it and it's what I'm always interested in and that drove me to, or inspired me to write a book is what are the secrets to create a, a software company that people just keep talking about? So from your experience, you, you've been in the enterprise software space for a very long time and been with companies, either as an employee or running them yourself, founding them yourself. What do you believe are these one or two things that a company needs to have in order to stand out? You have to tie into some emotion that they have, right? We're emotional beings and you can come in and solve a problem and that I have, I can create five widgets an hour. And if I use this product, I can create now 10 widgets an hour. But that's not something that you go home at night thinking, oh man, that was absolutely incredible, incredibly valuable. And if you can do that, phenomenal. There's great businesses built that way. But if your question around how do you get people talking about it, sharing it, you have to have this emotional connection where not only are you solving the problem, are you making them better, but they believe you're in their corner. They know who you are. They have some identity to either you as a human being or your organization as a brand. It's something that if I go back to the companies that I've worked for, Exact Target was built on that, this connection with customer and then the brand that they built around it and this movement in digital marketing that was happening. Yeah. We were yeah. blessed enough to be acquired by a company like Salesforce that people build their entire careers on top of. And if you look, it's one of the most innovative groups in the company. And if you look at just what Mark and team have done, it's incredible, but it's all around how do you just, you have to tie into some emotional thread. And we have seen that so far. We have to obviously figure out how to scale it. But the notes that we get from customers after something happens that are, wow, that's incredible. Hey, I just ran this workshop with a prospect 
it went so incredibly well. We could have never connected in this way without Philo. In fact, I think my prospect may come reach out to you because they thought it was such a good experience that I think they're going to become a prospect for you. And I just wanted to thank you because that means the world to me to make that much of an impact on somebody. Other groups who say, and we've had some, we ran sales kickoffs for, which people are passionate about. They come together and afterwards, I don't know if we need to get back in person again, because that was so meaningful. And I think it was actually more personal because we could be face to face this close rather than sitting in the back room of a big auditorium. And when I got done at the end of the day, I turned off my computer. I had dinner with my family. I gave my kids a bath. I put them to bed and read them a book. And that's incredible to me. So it's tying into those emotional pieces that cause them to go and tell somebody else, hey, let me tell you about what I just did last week. But you're still an afterthought, right? Like they're describing the amazing thing that happened. They need the tie to you to say, oh, by the way, and what allowed that to happen was Philo. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's fascinating how a powerful emotion is and how little it's used in business software. <laughs> Because I completely agree with you. Couldn't be have a bigger fan on this topic than, uh, than me, maybe. <laughs> so almost final question. From the lessons that you learned over the last 12, 13 months, what is a key lesson that you've learned or tidbit of wisdom that you've gained that you would like to share with other tech entrepreneurs? Maybe a do or a don't. Probably the best way of answering the question is describing what I'm probably the worst at. And, and I've struggled with the most as an entrepreneur. And this is the second time I've started a company. I started a company called Waysay that I bootstrapped with a friend and colleague back in 15. We sold it in 16 to an agency and it was a mobile app SDK. And in both of them, there's the same challenge that I would say to anybody thinking about being an entrepreneur or anybody who is just starting out in their entrepreneurial journey is the ability to deal with failures because failures happen every single day. And there, some of them are small failures and some of them are big failures that happen. Yeah. But the ability to very quickly assess what went wrong, what can we learn from this failure, and then forget about everything other than what we can learn from this failure and immediately move on because the next call you have is going to be a potential employee who can be a key part of that team, another prospect that you could help really solve their problem, a customer who's dealing with their own struggles that you need to help out and being able to quickly roll out of that failure conversation, learn from it and get past it. If you don't learn from it, then you're just going to, you're doomed to repeat yourself. But if you obsess over it and it eats at you, then it's just impossible to live through this journey if you do that. Very valuable advice. Do you have any trick for that? Do you do, for example, a daily reflection on this? No. So what I said, I'm terrible at it. I am really awful at it. I obsess over every little failure, every customer. If we happen to let down a customer, even if the smallest little thing we let down for them, we do. So if you find any tricks for that, send them my way. I'm constantly trying to get better. Think about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, one of the things that I do, just to share it, it's I do a daily reflection. I got this book from Bernadette Jiwa, which is called Compass for the Heart, which is sort of a soft title. What it really does is like kind of forcing you to think about, okay, so what happened during a day? And then how did I feel about that? What did I do? What were alternative things I could have done? 
and then like what are the learnings from it and then it's sort of a, a kind of a note to yourself don't do this again or do 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 well, do things in a different way but it's like it lets you drill down to things that you normally don't even recognize certain things happen during the day and there's so much learning in that i love that i mean what i have found is just the act of writing something down yeah gives you the opportunity to move on from it right because it's exactly. rather than it kind of gives you the freedom to say okay i learned something i've captured it i can come back to it it's more sure. concrete rather than just constantly turning on it so sometimes sure. taking the time take a breath open up yeah. what used to be a notebook and is now an ipad writing down the notes and then allows you to move on and have a clear head moving into the next one exactly exactly i love that cool well a lot of people have meantime heard a lot about philo where can people go to find out more about your company and to connect to you? Yeah, the best place, go to our website, check it out, reach out if you would like to talk. We love talking with everybody and their problems. The website is just, it's philo.co, so .co, F-I-L-O .co. You can also find us on normal social channels, Twitter, and at meet philo. Send us a message, engage with us directly. And then that's probably the best way of engaging with me, either through LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm not active personally on many of them. Twitter is one of my vices. So it's just at Compton MC, I'm the name Matt Compton at Compton MC and reach out. We'd love to engage. Perfect. Love the story. I learned a couple of things from it, but I like to open it. And I mean, it's impressive how you build a company in such a short time and, uh, and thrive on it and just get, yeah, I mean, growing through the virality is, is something that a lot of companies can learn from that they really build something that people yeah, keep talking about and, and, and get value from. So thanks for that, Matt. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. These are always fun conversations. I learned so much from every single one and really enjoyed getting an opportunity to do this. Same on my set. Thanks. And this ends my conversation with Matt. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Matt Compton, co-founder and CEO of Philo. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what 
Ransomware is all about is psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.